really excited to have Liam Redmond, a former colleague of mine from Grill Genius, join the podcast today. I met Liam while I was obviously working at Grill Genius and had the fortune of watching him develop into a true expert in business development, specifically when it comes to prospecting on social media channels like LinkedIn and just the speed and you know level of growth he's shown from knowing him as a guy who likes to lift and drink some highly potent coffee <laughs> to uh, becoming someone incredibly structured, very, very articulate, and like, you know, very strong when it comes to his prospecting efforts and essentially creating a playbook that I've seen repeated across a lot of different industries. So very excited to have him on and kind of have him showcase his work. And he's up to a lot of exciting things. So Liam, I'll, I'll leave it to you to introduce yourself. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Can't really live up to that introduction. But yeah, I mean, I'm 25 years old, originally from Ireland, moved over to Toronto. That's how I ended up started working with Susan at Growth Genius, like you mentioned. Came from like a data analyst background, started working in sales because like I had a couple of job offers. One was like a programmatic marketing company that seemed pretty cool and pretty safe. The money was good. The benefits were all right. The free snacks seem pretty cool too, but like, I don't know if I've told this story to you, Susan, but I had actually accepted another job before I started working at Growth Genius and then just like had the interview with Growth Genius and it just seemed like a bigger learning and growth opportunity. So like I decided to roll the dice and go for that. Like you mentioned was like a BDR who like really, I, I think dived in like head first into prospecting on social media saw a lot of success pretty quickly. And then throughout like my, I guess, relatively short but intense tenure as a BDR, saw a lot of strategies that worked for me, was able to train a lot of other people to implement those strategies. Yeah, now I'm at obviously ClearBank, kind of doing a similar thing, but on a much larger scale. And like trying to show like maybe 80 or 90 people, some of those same strategies that they can implement in their day-to-day. Totally. And I think the cool part was that we were able to test that process across a lot of different companies. So it's not necessarily something that I would say is like a one-trick pony where you kind of can apply to one specific set of circumstances and assume it works. I think I've seen it work across a lot of different industries, a lot of different personas. And and I think it's a combination of the right habits, the right mindset, in addition to some of the more specific tactics around doing business development. So I think that that part was cool. I mean, jumping into the questions, you know, to start off, what do you think is the role of a BDR or a growth person at a startup or even any given company in general? What kind of skills do you think you need to have to succeed in that role? I think there's probably a lot of overlap between being like a successful BDR or growth person, just kind of whether you're doing it at a micro or macro level. I know for me being a BDR, some of the things that made me extremely successful were just being like insanely disciplined in how I approached all of my like day-to-day tasks, whether it be prospecting, building my list of target leads and accounts, and then just like being like ruthless in following up with people if they showed any sign of engagement, or oftentimes even if they didn't show any interest at all, just seeing like every single reply or someone seeing a message as some sort of level of intent and kind of steering my efforts based on their level of intent. 
So as a BDR, it was definitely just like being very disciplined, ruthless in following up and structured in how I approached prospecting. And then kind of on the more macro side, like being a growth person, I like the analogy that I tell people a lot of the time now when I'm doing it for like a team of salespeople or even some of the other like companies that I've worked with outside of my nine to five, it's like thinking of yourself as a growth person. You're like, you're not even the quarterback running the plays. You're like the coach on the sidelines telling the quarterback what plays to run. So like even just thinking of like, okay, if you're controlling like a team of like 10 SDRs or BDRs, whatever you want to call them, like I think the ability to test and iterate based on the feedback you're getting, just following where the data shows you the most success is, I feel like there's so much potential there. And like just kind of more broadly being a growth person, it's like applying the same skills you see on like a micro level, being a good BDR, and then applying it across a whole team and looking for those opportunities to grow a sales process on a more macro level. Totally. I think you touch on a couple of interesting points. So one thing that I took away and one thing that I've seen in my own experience is how much of a BDR's work is not related to sales, right? A lot of it is related to like time management, having the right discipline and just being super organized and also, you know, being really inquisitive. I think the best salespeople that I know are super inquisitive, curious about just learning about anything about the individual, about the company that they're working with and really trying to sell to them. I think the other point relating to growth is that to me, it's more of a mindset. I think, you know, it just so happens that most growth people apply themselves to specific channels or the funnel part of a business or creating the funnel of a business. But, you know, it's a mindset that could be applied anywhere. Like when I was at Knowledge Hook, for me, a big part was taking that growth mindset and applying it to customer success, applying it to product and seeing what opportunities could be uncovered, which is pretty unorthodox, but it's something that I found to be interesting. I mean, going deeper kind of into business development, how, you know, what's the role of social media in all of this? I think we see a lot of people using ads. We see a lot of people kind of spending a large part of their budget on different channels, you know, LinkedIn kind of becoming more popular slash has already uh, been a popular channel depending on the vertical or the company that you're working at. But, you know, where do you see the role of these social media channels and LinkedIn kind of following? What is it that you understand about these channels that I think, you know, in my opinion, at least most people don't? Yeah, yeah, totally. There's a lot of like good questions there. I'll start with the most recent one. Like what, what do I see? that others don't like something that I've always thought about, whether it be LinkedIn, Instagram, email, or like even something like Twitter is that like, I think if you're able to look at a message, like whether it be an email, like I said, or a LinkedIn connection request is just thinking of everything. It's core fundamental level is some form of advertisement or ad. So like you said, there's a lot of organizations who like do a lot of like paid advertisement, whatever it may be. But it's just thinking of everything that you do as, as an ad. So like your profile on LinkedIn is an ad. Uh, the message you send someone is an ad. How you follow up with someone is an ad. And then like really just being able to break down on like a very basic level, like how you're structuring an email. What, what does each sentence really break down to? Is it like, a personalization piece to get their attention? 
is it like a value prop piece to kind of gain some interest or desire or is it like a call to action piece to you know obviously get them to do something so i think it's really being able to understand some fundamental growth principles and being able to apply them to any channel because like you said it's really i think the superpower of all of the good growth people that i've met is just understanding the fundamentals and being able to apply them to various different disciplines, channels, processes even, and just understanding how to optimize things over time. Totally. I think, you know, it comes down to understanding, in my mind, how businesses work and then how do people work. I think more often than not, if you think about the user experience of an email or a LinkedIn message, and then think about all the possible actions that can come out of that, you're more likely than not to find, you know, a number of different optimizations that can be had and and can be improved. And if you don't look at it from that perspective, chances are you're you're getting beat up by your competition. I think that's what really differentiates, I think, the messaging of, you know, strong messaging on LinkedIn, you know, especially having these conversations with prospects versus someone who kind of sends out a more generic ad or a more generic message, hoping that out of a volume of thousands of prospects, you're, you're going to get like, you know, 10 to 15, perhaps 100 responses at most. It's, it's that attention to detail and kind of taking quality over quantity and, you know, taking a measure to trade off because obviously th- there is a return on time, especially for someone in this role where, you know, you can spend all the time in the world researching one specific individual and, and still get the same no at the end of the day as well. So one thing that I thought you did a really good job of or have done a really good job of is figuring out what that trade-off looks like. I think a lot of times people either go too deep into personalization and research or on the flip side, go way too generic. So it's an age old debate, but I think, you know, something that needs to be considered on a case by case basis as well. Yeah, totally. It's, it's, It's a great way to look at things. And it immediately strikes me as there's a, you mentioned like at the start, I think that like I'm into powerlifting or into the gym or whatever. And basically there's this concept or theory where um, as you're starting a training mesocycle, which is just like a, a series of week to week, like kind of pushed together. So you might do an eight week mesocycle. At the start, you don't do like 10 sets of 10 because it's overkill. It's too much. It's, it's more volume than you need for the muscle to adapt. So I like to think of like kind of prospecting it the same way. So the first week you might start on three sets of 10, or you might even do like three sets of five if you're doing like heavy weight or whatever. And this whole idea is called minimum effective volume. So it's the minimum amount you can do that's actually effective to reduce or to give you like an actual, you know, response that you want. I take the exact same approach to prospecting or personalizing an email. Like obviously if your expected return or value from a specific account is 10x another account, you should be spending more time on that. The same way as if like you're prospecting someone and there's a low expected value of return, you should not be spending a lot of time on that. And like even when I'm training people on email or LinkedIn now, it's like a lot of the questions are like okay, you're telling me to personalize better. You're telling me to personalize more. It takes a lot of time, things like that. And I think it really is just understanding what is a good customer for your business 
and then being able to equate that to, okay, what is the expected value? If this person were to respond positively, what is the expected value of that company to my company? Kind of weighting your time and the effort you put in based on the expected value of the return. There's a great book on this subject called Thinking in Bets by Annie Jukes. She was like a world professional poker player. She does a lot of corporate speaking now for big tech companies. And her whole thing was like, in like the average five-hour session of poker, you make some insane amount of decisions. I think it's like 20,000 decisions or something like that. And the ones who are profitable and make a lot of money out of it are the ones who are going for high expected values of return more than going for low expected values of return. You can think about like prospecting as this really complicated thing. And I think maybe when you're initially getting into sales, it might be because you just don't know what valuable means to you. But after a certain amount of time, you can kind of peel back the layers and realize like, okay, this is really valuable to me, this company, or this one isn't for whatever reason it may be, their employee size, their industry, the title I'm speaking to. And yeah, you're totally right. It's like being able to prioritize your time relative to the weighting of the value. It's so important, but it's like, I'm not sure how easy that is to train someone. I think some of it is kind of an intuitive ability to be able to understand expected value. Um, that some people just, they can't see deeper. They can't see like second like layer principles of the person that they're trying to prospect. Yeah, I think it's really interesting that you bring that up because each company or each prospect that you're working with is almost like you're making an investment into them using your time and using your effort. And as a good BDR, you have to be able to almost be a great investor, right? And, you know, a lot of people think about investing in terms of dollars, but a more finite resource is time and effort. And I think if you apply all the frameworks around investments and finance and apply them into time and effort, especially in relation to sales, which is at times a very routine activity, especially if you have it down to a very finite process, it really comes down to applying those same frameworks and saying, okay, what's the greatest you know, return on my time? How quickly will this pay off in terms of activities? And then how do, you, how do I make this consistent as far as progress and results go? So those, those are all things that I think tend to get overlooked. Right? A lot of times people may take a more spray and pray type approach simply because they lack the information they need to make those decisions. And I think that's where people get tripped up in terms of thinking about the value of business development and you know how much you know value you can get out of various activities. You're actually publishing an ebook specifically around LinkedIn pro- prospecting. Um, a big part of your ebook follows or focuses on follow-ups. And I think this was something that you know to me surprised me. Right before I got into Growth Genius, before joining Growth Genius, I, I didn't see the value in follow-ups. And I think this applies beyond just prospecting. But how do you think about creating follow-up messages? I think that's something of an art as much as it is a science. And I think people don't put nearly as much persistence or for some reason are extremely risk averse when it comes to following up on different messages and as a result lose out on a lot more opportunities than than they may be aware of, whether it's doing business development type work or even just looking for personal opportunities. Yeah. 
Totally. It's, it's, it's a great point that I think is like often, like just like you said, so overlooked and like follow-ups are just so important. Like if I think about when I was a BDR, I think I booked like close to like 500 meetings while I was at Growth Genius or something like that. And I would say that maybe 80% of those came from following up with people if I have to like roughly guess. And yeah, like you're right that a lot of people are afraid to keep following up because like outbound prospecting is like, even when you do everything right, there is a ton of rejection and it's just part of it. You know what I mean? And I think it's being able to like literally like make that whole feeling of rejection just completely numb, like dull that whole sensitivity to rejection and just forget about it and move on. I think it's like so easy to get, especially when you get into sales, to just get discouraged at the start. Like, oh, they didn't respond to my first email. Oh, sales sucks. Sales is hard. But like, I think after you've been doing it for a while, you just realize that it's just not like that. If it was that easy, everyone would be doing it. And like, I think there's like a few different points to touch on here. So the first thing I think about from following up is like, do you know the movie Shawshank Redemption? Yeah. So you know when they're like trying to dig their way out of the, the prison, they're yeah. chipping away at the wall for like days. Like yeah. I'm pretty sure it's like a five, 10 minute montage or section of the movie. And like they're going through like different layers of the prison. They're like trying to like throw the like wall pieces and dust out into the yard and stuff. And like, I really think about prospecting someone as like you're trying to break through that wall, you know? You're just really chipping away. So if you write an absolute walk-off homer email one, maybe you chip away two-thirds of that wall in the first email. But maybe that person is busy and has a lot of other stuff going on. So even if you do everything right and you do an awesome job, spend a lot of time personalizing, tailoring it exactly to them, you still have another third to go. And like another way of thinking about this is that whole like tip of the iceberg kind of thing. Maybe you send a pretty like bad email one, but the person needs the product or service that you're trying to sell them. There's still another 90% of that iceberg, like under the the water level that you're going to have to get through. So that kind of like leads on to like, after the first message, if they don't respond positively, what do you do? And like, I can't remember where I came across this, but kind of like you mentioned earlier in the, the podcast, I think it was one of the first few questions that I've always been like super interested in learning and take a pretty extreme approach to learning from experts who are better at things than I am because a lot of things have been figured out by people much smarter than me already. So when I immediately got into being a BDR, got into sales, I just didn't want to be bad at it. I hate losing. I hate losing anything. I hate losing at Scrabble. I hate losing. I hate losing and being slower than my friends who are runners. And I'm not a runner, but I still hate losing. And like, I always think about following up is like, you need to be presenting some new information in each follow-up. We understand that like humans make decisions differently and there's a lot of different ways that they make decisions. So like a great book on this is Thinking Fast and Slow by Daniel Kahneman. Like he won a Nobel Prize on his work on decision-making and basically came up with this pretty simple to understand theory called System 1 and System 2. System 1 is humans make the majority of decisions pretty quickly without really giving it too much conscious thought and often make these decisions emotionally. So this is why sometimes a really well-structured email one where you're complimenting someone's brand or case study can often work really well because you completely disarm 
their their rational mind and butter up their emotional mind. They're like, oh, damn, someone noticed my case study. I'm going to give them 20 to 30 minutes of my time. But then there's some jaded people who have got that a hundred times in their life. So that's where like a second follow-up with some more rational business outcomes is going to be way more effective. So like a lot of the ways that I write cadences, I'm kind of going back and forth between emotional, rational, emotional, rational, because like I'm trying to wear them down. I'm trying to break through this wall. And eventually, if you have a good product with product market fit, good case studies, social proof, and you have some authority in the space, oftentimes you're going to break through with at least one of those points, provided that there is like some sort of relevancy for what you're selling to that prospect. Like you said, maybe they don't respond to the second message. Then I could follow up, go back to like more of an emotionally driven message. And then after that, maybe they've been unresponsive to three messages so far. And I might go from being like emotional or really talking about their brand, giving them some hard business outcomes and be like, hey, look, we're working with some of your competitors. They're seeing XYZ results. Do you not feel like you might be missing out on something? And it's just going after all these different psychological hooks or biases and just trying to pull each lever and see what it does to people. Maybe they recently added a new piece of technology to their website. Maybe they just let 30 people go in their company. Maybe they just raised a bunch of money. Like there's a bunch of different things that you can pull on that can be inferences to your follow-ups. And I think it's just like all the time I get emails from salespeople, especially now that I'm in a little bit more senior position than an entry-level BDR. People start their emails that are like email three, four, five, and they start with just following up. Like, are you serious? That's the best you can do? I'm just following up. And then there's like no new information. Kind of summarize this long tangent. And it's obviously something I'm pretty passionate about. You need to be presenting new novel information that the prospect is not aware of in each follow-up. You need to be going at the prospect from different angles, whether it be loss aversion, whether it be things that they can gain, whether it be social proof, whether it be authority, whether it be urgency or scarcity. Like there's a lot of different levers and psychological biases that a BDR can pull. And it's just structuring an email cadence or LinkedIn cadence appropriately so that you're pulling on all of those different levers before you give up. Totally. I think, and that's true regardless of whether you're a BDR or even just doing outreach for your own personal benefit. I think a lot of the same tactics as far as being able to do your diligence, kind of tie in different psychological factors, and then being able to speak to all of them in your follow-ups is such a critical skill that I think will become more and more important, especially as you know opportunities are found more online versus you know in person, right? And I think it's easier to convey these messages in person and, and kind of strike all these different emotions. It's way harder to do that online or a lot different, at least, to do that online. And I think a big part of that involves just being curious about anything and everything. And I know you touched on this, but what is your approach when it comes to learning new things? I think that's something that you, know, you and I are big on. It's a big reason why I write this newsletter and have started this podcast. But you know, what is it? you know, what kind of structure do you take as far as looking at different topics, whether it's related to sales or not, deconstructing them, understanding how it might be relevant to what you do on a regular basis? Yeah, yeah. And like, I have a lot of funny anecdotes to kind of like, talk to this. Like if my roommate listens to this, he's gonna laugh so much. But like, 
I agonize over making the smallest purchase decision you can think of, whether it be what food I'm going to order, if I'm buying a new yoga mat on Amazon, or like if I'm deciding to move. Actually, it's pretty ironic, but the biggest decision I made was probably moving to Canada. And I made that decision so quickly. I didn't agonize about that at all. But like small things, like say I'm buying something on Amazon or say I'm buying a book or something, I will read like every review. I will look at several different sources. If I'm ordering food or pizza, I'll check Yelp. I'll check their Google reviews. I'll see what it says on like kind of Toronto blogs. Like I do so much research research before I decide to buy anything. And I'm not really sure. Yeah, yeah. I'm not really sure why that is. But like, even if it's such a small, insignificant decision, like, have you ever ordered something at a restaurant and you're with a group of people and the food arrives and it's very apparent and very obvious that someone else at the table has ordered the best thing in terms of like value, in terms of how good it looks, in terms of like what yours looks like compared to them. I hate that feeling. Because you can't undo that feeling. So like how I like approach learning anything, like you said, whether it be sales, whether it be a personal decision, I just do a ton of research so that I really understand what it is that I'm doing, what it is that I'm getting myself into. Because like I hate, there's a lot of decisions in life that are totally reversible and you can go back. But like you can't unorder that shitty pizza. Like you just can't, you can't go back in time. And I hate that feeling so much. And it's like the same way when I'm learning. I think there's like books out there that are books that everybody should read. And then there's other books out there where you can buy into the New York Times bestseller hype and you read this piece of shit and you're like, how is this even published? So I hate wasting time, I think is probably the core fundamental thing. I definitely love learning new things and I love getting better at things. Getting better is probably my obsession in life i've gone running for the last three days in a row because like the gyms are closed gyms used to be my way of making tangible objective progress because i feel like any day that i'm not making progress in some form of my life whether it be work personal the gym i feel like every day you're not getting better you're getting worse so like i've been running the last three days and i'm not a runner and like i'm just seeing like my different lap times on each kilometer this one was fast. This one was slow. Why is this one fast? Why is this one slow? Like, there's a lot of curiosity there. Um, I'm always trying to improve and get better. And it's just like, I don't know what, what exactly it is. It's like I just have a chip on my shoulder for improving. I don't know, like, at like parties and stuff, when people ask me questions, I'm able to pull out the craziest, most niche reference to totally irrelevant facts that no one has ever heard and think of. And like people look at me like I'm a fucking like Martian or something. Like, how do you know that? And a lot of the things that I'm just like, oh, I'm not actually sure how I do know that. Or, oh, I came across it in a book. I've probably listened to, I'd say about a thousand hours of Joe Rogan podcasts in my life. So I just know all these crazy random things. So learning is a, it's a lifelong thing for me and it will never really end, I don't think. Yeah, I think, you know, what separates a lot of people in my mind is simply the ability to consume information at a rapid pace. I think a lot of times people get worn down by the amount of information thrown at them. And I think being able to build up your endurance 
right? And everyone's obviously at different levels and, and that's okay. I think making it a habit to be able to consume information quickly, retain it and move on is really big. And you touch on this in your ebook, but you know, for me, note-taking has been huge. I think for me, I thought I had a good memory. I don't think I have as great of a memory. And for me, a big piece has been, okay, how do I take the information that I've learned and take notes on it so that I don't need to rely on my memory to remember everything and kind of call upon it. And I think that's something that, you know, I think you've done a great job of as well, if I remember correctly. So I think being able to take notes, being able to make sure that's easily searchable is something that has helped me as far as learning new things. But I think, you know, it, it does come down to kind of that innate desire to consume more, you know, whether that's driven from not losing, right, or driven from some other purpose, I think being able to look a layer or two deeper versus the person next to you is definitely kind of that approach that I've taken and, and you know, has served me well so far, at least. And the other piece that I want to touch on is structure. I think, you know, the one thing that I've always appreciated about you is, uh, you know, whenever I would look into your calendar, or when I was working with you, the way you would structure your calendar, <laughs> right, you had meetings, you had tasks, all scheduled to a T, right. And, and you know, whenever I would talk to you, I know for a fact, you followed it, again, very, very uh, articulately or meticulously. How do you think about building these habits? How do you think about building that structure, right? Like I'm assuming there was a time where you probably didn't have that structure, right? And what was that transition like? And why do you do it? Yeah, yeah. So the structure thing is a, a great question. And I think it's, it's so important. But you said one thing at the start there that I just want to like mention. Um, and it's like the ability to consume information. And I see that there's like some people who are so much better than other people at this. And like, it's funny because like everybody has a finite capacity of like what they can do. And like, you can pull different levers to increase or decrease this capacity. So you mentioned as well that like, oh, my memory is pretty good. Maybe not as good as it used to be. And like a big thing for me has also been note-taking. So I'm not sure. I'm pretty sure that like you messaged me after I had a post on LinkedIn about David Allen's getting things done. And there's yeah, this David whole, Allen, Tiago Fort, yeah. bunch of folks in that space that I follow. Totally, sure. yeah. And it's all about just like your brain is not for storing information, like not at all. And if you're trying to do like, even as you said a couple of things in that sentence there, there was things that I wanted to touch on that I had to turn to my, my laptop beside me to like write down, talk about this. Because I would forget the more that I externalize things from my brain is like the more bandwidth or space that I give my brain to think because like, I know that if I concentrate and focus on things, I can produce pretty amazing results. But if I'm thinking about, Oh, did I send that email? Oh, did I complete that task? Did I respond to that person? If I'm thinking or trying to remember if I did that, I'm completely fucked. Like I just don't have the memory for that. And I think like, as well as even like note taking to try and remember things, there's like, filtering out the information that you don't need. So it's like being productive is as important as the things that you don't do. Similarly, the information you consume is as important as the information that you don't consume. So I don't follow 
basically any mainstream media, like almost at all. I get some news from LinkedIn by kind of what I hear through the grapevine or what I see people talking about. And I can't remember who it is. I think it was like, I think it might've been Principles Ray Dalio or might've been Steve Jobs. Or I don't know. It was someone much smarter than me anyway. But they had this idea that like, if something is important enough, you will hear about it. Like you will hear about it from someone else. You'll hear about it through like osmosis. You'll hear about it from other people that are important. So like, you just don't need to read the newspaper every day. Like, especially like all, I was on a call yesterday with my mom. It was her birthday. And she was like, oh, I saw this happen in Canada or I saw this happen in Toronto. Isn't that crazy? And like old people just love to watch the news and worry about everything that's going on in the world. This woman has lived in Ireland her entire life and is worrying about the things that are happening in Brampton. Like who has the time to worry about this kind of stuff? So I think a big superpower of mine has just been able to completely disconnect from things that aren't important to me. And I think that's the important distinction. They're not important to me. They might be important to other people, and I'm not disregarding the information as unimportant, but they're not important to me. And then all of the stuff you said about structure and asked about structure, people would look at my calendar and it looks like this extract from like American Psycho. It's like, how is it this calculated? How is it this? How is it this exact? Like, why do you need to do this? And like, you know, even in certain capacities, people have mocked me for this. But then like the people who would be mocking me are like half as productive, have nowhere near as much like objective success and whatever it might be. So like a sales target or whatever they're getting done or stuff like that. I think just putting it in the calendar kind of makes it real. Same way as like writing things down to me, it kind of makes it real. And before that, it's just like, it's just talk. You know what I mean? Like there's so many people who just talk about doing things. The ability to push things forward and execute. I would hire someone with half the IQ of somebody else, but they push things forward and get things done. Executing is like in my probably top three traits that I look for. Or like hunger is is another one of them, but I think they're closely related. And like, yeah, it was just like really having a pretty regimented routine because when you break any goal down, there's often some keystone habits that you need to achieve. So if you want to lose weight, you should probably eat less and exercise more. That means you probably need to plan your meals and nutrition, schedule going to the gym and doing cardio. If you want to be a better salesperson, that means you probably need to spend more time prospecting, more time researching, and more time actually executing and like sending emails. Like there's keystone habits to achieve everything you want in life. I think it's just focusing on these key things to getting things done rather than looking at these big lofty goals because that's too intimidating, too scary. I want to lose 100 pounds. I want to get like 200% of my quota this month. Well, hold on for a second. Break those things down. What does that really mean? What key behaviors and routines do I need to do every day to get there? And just focus on the day by day and like, there's this whole book about this whole thing. The scoreboard takes care of itself. The book by Bill Walsh. Bill yeah. Walsh, I think. Uh, great book. I think one, one great point that you touch on there is the whole idea of like setting meetings as a way of almost anchoring time. And for me, like, you know, the next goal in my project or the next step on anything I'm working on is usually anchored based on a meeting, right? If I want to say launch a podcast or get 
you know, have a conversation with someone, it's not real until I have a meeting on it. And that milestone could be different for everyone, right? It's a meeting for me. It seems like, you know, getting it on calendar is important for you. For others, it could be something completely different, but whatever makes it sound real, sometimes it's simply just writing it down even, right? Once you see it on a piece of paper, that tends to hold people a bit more accountable. But, you know, similar to consuming information, the more you can externalize your goals, chunk it down to your point, and then be able to kind of see through them in your daily life, you know, whether that's a calendar, a journal, or some other organization mechanism, I think those are all incredibly helpful tools to help kind of keep you on post. And I think the other point that I want to touch on, more so relating to the ability to consume information is, you know, you do end up making those trade-offs. I think a lot of the times in an ideal world, you'd want to be an expert on everything. But the reality is that by focusing on one specific topic, or a couple of specific topics, you're going to be overdeveloped in one area and underdeveloped in several other areas. And that's simply because of the information that you choose to consume. And those are all trade-offs that you know, are individual to each person, right? Just because I make a trade-off to learn more about building businesses or technology doesn't mean that everyone else needs to make that trade-off, nor should anyone really impose those trade-offs on other people. I think the key part is to understand which trade-offs you're making because absent of that, other larger media players like uh, you know, social advertising and whatnot make that trade-off for you. Right? And that's where yeah. um, I have challenges against mainstream media where those, I can either you know, follow a certain kind of meal plan of information that's provided by mainstream media where their incentives are obviously not aligned to mine, right? They don't know my individual goals and they are sure as hell not interested in fulfilling my individual goals or even maximizing my potential. And so why would I follow mainstream media? Why not kind of be a lot more intentional in terms of the information that I consume so that I make decisions or accordingly. And, you know, if that means I'm underdeveloped in pop culture, so be it. Right. And I think uh, that's something that took me a while for me to kind of reconcile. And, and, you know, over the past couple of years has been a progression. But, you know, with this newsletter and with this podcast, I've been not just making that trade off, but explicitly talking about the trade off I've made and sharing the information. And that's to me has been an interesting journey because I think uh, in some ways it feels kind of risky. It feels as though like I might be sharing too much, but at the same time, to me, it's just sharing the information as I go versus having to kind of do 80% of the work, not share the information and, you know, perhaps not let other people around me benefit. So that's a great point to end off. I mean, Liam, do you have any other thoughts on what I just said? Yeah. Like you mentioned a couple of interesting things there. Like one thing I think is like, you mentioned something about like, what are like the triggers or milestones that like cause someone to act? And like for me, whatever it may be, the calendar for other people, it might be writing it down. And like, I think that's so important to just like have like a system of regular triggers in your life that cause you to act. So like we've been like basically all herded indoors because of this COVID thing for like the last month or so, obviously like for good reason, but for pretty active people like me, they're probably eating more and exercising less. And like, I remember on Sunday, just gone, 
I like weighed myself for the first time and I was like six or seven pounds heavier. And I was like, oh fuck, I need to do something about this because I was a fat kid and that's not happening again. So like that literally spurred me in that moment to put on my running shoes and go for a 10 kilometer run like that, that second. Um, so I think it's just important having like a system or structure in place that causes you to make these actions or decisions in all, all sorts of walks of life. Another thing you talked about that I really thought was interesting was like kind of picking your trade-offs to focus your expertise on something and be like intentional about it or not even expertise, but just like the things that you're going to consume or like mainstream media will decide it for you. And like, even I was having this conversation with a close friend recently about like how advertising decides so many things for a lot of people. And like you and me both see the effect that like uh, advertising can have on people's decisions. And to us, they're like so alien, the decisions that some people make. And like, I honestly can't remember the last time an advertisement caused me to buy something. Like they just don't influence my decisions anymore. And I think that's honestly because I'm so intentional with the information that I consume. Because when I really thought back, the last thing that caused me to buy something would be like a podcast interview of like an author talking about their book. And then the last thing you mentioned that I thought was cool was about sharing. And I think like posting on social media especially if you're like, I think there's like trash social media, call it like Instagram models, fitness influencers, you know, whatever. If that's their dream, that's their dream. That's cool. But like, I feel like you're probably putting out some content that will help people. I like to think I'm doing the same. Like, I don't think either of us think we're changing the world quite yet, but we're, we're, you know, we're trying to make a positive impact. And like, yeah, it is uncomfortable and weird putting yourself out there at the start because you see that like, not that many people like what you're doing, not that many people respond or engage. But then like, like I started trying to post on social media on a bunch of different channels a couple of times. And it was never really that successful. The one thing that has picked up a little bit of steam is just me posting stuff on LinkedIn. And like, I think you've probably seen this too, is that like, once you kind of get this like little bit of momentum going, this little bit of positive feedback kind of loop of people saying, you know what, that post you put up, it actually really helped me. Or this one piece of advice you gave out, I honestly really really liked that. And I needed to hear it in that moment of time. And like, okay, maybe I don't have 10 million followers, like some Instagram models, but like if I have one or two people come up to me in real life and disrupt their daily routine and say, hey, what you put out today, like it genuinely really helped me. Even if I only have, you know, this whole concept of a hundred true fans versus like a thousand fake ones, whatever it may be. If you're the one putting out the content that's really helping a couple of people, you start to really feel the power of that, which makes you want to post more, which makes you want to be more deliberate about what you're posting. And it makes you want to like really put more effort into it. Yeah, it is a, a bit risky. You can feel like maybe why am I putting so much time into this? Am I missing out on other things in life? But like, once you get those like dopamine hits of like positive feedback from other people a couple of times, for me, it's like, it's over. Like, I don't think, I can't see myself ever stop posting on LinkedIn or some channel in the long term. Like I'll have weeks here and there where I'm super busy and don't post a lot, but I've just had this dopamine hit too many times. Like I've had two posts this week that were close to, 100 likes and 10,000 views each. 
And like, it's not crazy, but like, to me, that's a lot of people. There's 10,000 people reading what I say. And maybe it's an ego thing. Maybe it's a, or maybe, yeah, maybe it's just an ego thing. But like, you know, you start to feel like you're, you're helping somebody out there that you may not have. And that sounds super cliche as I say it back to myself, but like, it's actually true. Yeah. I I mean, when I think about audience building and whatnot, a lot of times it gets measured in the form of, like you said, likes, views, subscribers, all that kind of stuff. I try not to focus on that. To me, it's more so about the number of interesting conversations that I can have. So to me, what sharing information has allowed me to do is stay in touch with a bunch of people who I normally wouldn't stay in touch with. Right? Yeah, I, totally. I don't think even you and I would be having this conversation if you know you weren't active around posting on LinkedIn and if I wasn't active around you know sharing my information. Right? You know, we would just be two former colleagues that you know worked well uh, and, and you know just moved on. Yeah, right? that's and crazy I, to think because right. I feel like we're having an awesome conversation now. And if it really is just like posting on social media that spurs that, right. then I think everyone should post more stuff on social media. Totally. And, you know, given, you know, COVID and everything like that, understanding how to interact online, you know, without the, like the dependence of in-person, you know, whether that's triggers, right. Whether that's being able to work, you know, in person and build relationships, learning how to do all of this online is super important. And that's why I thought the stuff that you're doing is relevant, not just to BDRs, but to people in all paths of life, because a lot of the tactics that you talk about are going to be relevant, regardless of whether you're trying to sell something on behalf of the company or sell something on, on behalf of yourself. And when you think about yourself, you're constantly selling, right? Whether that's looking yeah. for a job, trying to create opportunities for yourself, create opportunities for your work, you know, even when you're working within larger teams, right? It's all some form of sales. And I think all of these tactics that you talked about could directly be applied in, you know, in some version, probably not to the same extremes, definitely applied in some version across a much broader audience. And, and that to me uh, has been super interesting learning. Yeah. But, um, yeah. And like, I think like, I, I guess we're like probably coming to the end here, but like, yeah. it's just like something you said there. It's like Chris Voss talks a lot about this in his book, never split the difference. And like, yeah, you might not be in sales, but everything in life is a negotiation. He has like a couple of examples, but like that Starbucks you got yesterday, maybe not yesterday now in COVID time, but like everything is a negotiation. That conversation you had with your girlfriend to negotiation. Someone like connected with me on LinkedIn and I was providing them product feedback and it, they gave me a two week free trial of their, of their enterprise software just because I gave them feedback and I asked for it. So everything in life is a negotiation and I think you'll be surprised how much you can actually get for free if you just ask people, whether it be advice, whether it be products, whether it be like mentorship or help in any degree. And like, yeah, if you can figure out some core psychological biases to influence people to act how you want them to, like it's, it's a game changer for, for all walks of life, man. It's a complete game changer. Absolutely. And, and you know, I'll wrap it up at that point. I mean, pleasure to have you on, on the podcast and talk about this to those listening, highly recommend checking out Liam's ebook coming out on LinkedIn prospecting, but like I said, lots of great learnings, not just related to 
business development or using LinkedIn, but you know, much broader than that. And I think uh, you're definitely down the right path of learning all the foundational elements of being hyper-productive, super curious, and you know, business development is just one p- piece of that. And I think uh, I'm really excited to see where you go and see uh, where this work takes you. Yeah, you. for sure, man. Me too. Great awesome. talking to you.